Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. My name is Craig Thompson, and I'm a senior pastor here. Thank you for being with us today. Um, a couple of things I'd like to make uh, mention of. We do have baptism next Sunday. If you would like to be baptized, if you made a commitment of faith, we would love to baptize you. Uh, if you would let us know, there's a form on our website that you can fill out, or you can call the church office or send an email our way, and we will take care of that. Um, next Steps class is next Sunday afternoon. If you've been visiting with us for one week or ten weeks or ten months and you say, you know, I'd like to know what it looks like to take the next steps and, and join Malvern Hill, there's no commitment for showing up, uh, but you at least have the opportunity to ask questions and get to know a little bit more about us. So uh, please uh, make, welcome, make um, mental note of that. Also, inside of your worship folders today, there were some little business card size welcome cards. And we stuck one of those in everybody's, uh, in everybody's bulletin today. If you didn't have one, we didn't want you to invite anybody. Um, not really. If you didn't have one, they, they're a little slick. They've been falling out all over the place. You might find a few in the floor. Um, listen, these, some, somewhere along the way, we, we've urged people to invite people to church. And somebody came to me one time and said, hey, is there any way that we could have some, something we could put in somebody's hands? So uh, all this is is just a welcome card, and there's a place on the back where you can write down your name and your phone number. I would just encourage you this week to give this to somebody and invite them to come to church with you. Um, you, you might find that they, they'd be interested. You might find there's some people around you that have been waiting and, and walking around those walls, and the walls just keep, seem to get higher and higher, and they're looking for a place where they can find hope. Um, and uh, you, you just have an opportunity to invite them. This is just something on the back. It gives our website You've got to have pretty good vision to see the website, but it's down there, I promise, uh, as well as service time. So that information is there. I, I would just encourage you to use it, um, just to be honest with you, and uh, hey, I'm probably the one that designed it. So actually, Luke Talbert designed these. We'll blame him. He's not with us anymore. Who, yeah, he's dead to us. Um, he, he, uh, uh, it's a little slick on the back. You might have to write on it with a Sharpie or something like that, but uh, I would just encourage you to invite somebody to come and listen to me. One of the things that, uh, while I was on my sabbatical in the month of January, I, I became just really, really aware of is visiting a church is scary and uncomfortable. So the reason that we've got a place for you to put a phone number on the back is because if you invite somebody to come with you next Sunday, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to give them your phone number and say, text me when you get to the parking lot. And I'll meet you out front so that they don't have to sit by themselves. Or better yet, hey, I'll text you on Sunday morning and remind you. Uh, but just know that when you visit a church, like y'all walk in here, for those of you that are part of us, you're like, man, this is the happiest place on earth. It's like Disney World. Um, if you're a guest with us, so that's the reason we stand up and for those guests, we're so grateful you're here because I know that coming in is, is just a little uncomfortable, a little overwhelming. Everybody seems to know everybody except you. Um, and that's how it is when you visit. So uh, invite somebody to come and look, take you the next step. If you invite them to come to church, they might look at you and say, I need Jesus. Share the gospel with them. Okay? I'll make you a promise that if you get them here next Sunday, they'll hear the gospel. But you don't have to wait on me to share the gospel, okay? Uh, God can use you, I promise, just as he can use me. All right, uh, we're going to be in the book of Mark chapter 9. This isn't an apology, but just as you're turning to the book of Mark chapter 9, verse 42, um, this is a, a heavy sermon this morning. Uh, this is not a seeker-sensitive sermon. Uh, um, we're, we're talking about hard things. But often God's Word talks about hard things. And we need to be aware to wrestle with the hard things of life. 
So by now, hopefully, you've made it to Mark chapter 9, verse 42. Stand with me in honor of God's Word. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. And I want you to know that when Jesus mentions the little ones here, he's mentioning his disciples. So as we're reading this, I want you to think about how loved they must have felt for Jesus to speak of them in this way. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter lame, enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Let's pray. Father, I pray you give us insight here and wisdom and understanding. God, I pray you'd make us sensitive to our own sin and aware of our sin. Lord God, I pray you'd give us, give us the spirit to repent of our sin. You'd change us and make us change agents in the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, we need to deal with actually something that, believe it or not, for some of you reading this, the biggest issue is that I don't even have in my notes this morning, is that I, I, I skipped two whole verses in that passage. If you have the King James Version or the New King James Version, your Bibles include Mark chapter 9, verse 44, and Mark chapter 9, verse 46. If you're reading from a more modern translation, the CSB, the ESV, um, uh, the NIV, those do not include, I don't believe the NASB includes that either, uh, do not include verses 44 and 46. If you were old enough to remember some of the worship wars and the battles over Bible translations uh, of the 80s then you would, in early 90s, you've heard somebody say the NIV is anathema because it, it, it kicked out verses of the Bible. Of course, some of those same people also said, if the King James was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Um, little joke. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the King James Bible um, at all. I still enjoy reading the Psalms from the King James Bible. Um, but uh, what, what, we've, what scholarship has shown us is that as, 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 um, as, as scholars have turned up more and more copies, ancient copies of the New Testament, what they've discovered is that the inclusion of verses 44 and 46 were later additions into the Bible. Um, and so modern translations exclude those verses because the original translation, as best as we can tell, the original Greeks, the, the, what Jesus spoke did not include those words. So um, that's the reason that that's in there. Don't get hung up on that, please. Uh, I promise you that that is nowhere even close to the main point of this message. Uh, but we did need to address that for those of you that might be reading from different translations. Listen, if you'd like to talk about that in more detail, I'd be happy to, as long as you don't walk into my office and yell at me and tell me I'm preaching from the wrong version of the Bible. It won't end well if it starts that way because the conversation will be over. I'm um, not going to argue about it, but I'd be happy to have a conversation with any of you. Um, and, and here, I'd, ha I'd be happy to learn. I'm sure there's a lot I can be taught right there. All right, with that out of the way, 
Um, we're we're, we're going to work through what is uh, really the, the heaviest sermon that we will address in, in maybe a number of months. Um, next Sunday is going to be a challenge. Next Sunday we're going to talk about divorce. Uh, next Sunday we're going to see that Jesus sort of works a curveball in there that most of you have never seen, that when he's talking about divorce right here, he is talking about divorce, and at the same time he's making a political statement that most of us haven't even come across. Um, and so next Sunday is going to be a challenge for some of us as we, as we wrestle through what is, what is Jesus's, what are Jesus' words. But, but today, I don't want us to get ahead, to, today we're talking about sin, the seriousness of sin. The reality and the evil of sin. And the reality and the evil of sin are often lost on our modern culture. Because in our current cultural landscape, most of the conversation revolves around pain and therapy instead of around sin and evil. In our current conversation... Most problems are believed to be able to be resolved with an emphasis on therapy and healing. And folks, I'm here to tell you, now I'm not a doctor and I'm not offering medical advice. But I want you to hear me say this, when we're talking about sin, therapy will never fix us. We need more. We need redemption. We need salvation. We need forgiveness. We need a savior. Therapy seeks help that comes from within. But folks, in our lost sinful state, we don't need help from within. We need transformative help from without. We need Jesus. This is not a sermon that will make you feel good today. And if you leave here lifted up, you've not listened Because it has beat me half to death all week long. And the closer we've drawn to 10.30 this morning, the heavier this burden has been upon my heart. Why is sin such a big deal? Sin is a big deal because sin is is cosmic treason against a holy God. See, we have to move past ideas that minimize sin. It was your sin and my sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. Sin is not like hurting someone's feelings. Sin is slapping God in the face. In Psalm 51, 4, David pointedly prays, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Joseph, when he was first approached by Potiphar's wife to commit adultery, responds, How then can I do this wickedness and sin against God? Now, folks, we live in a world today that would tell us that it is arrogant for anyone to assume that a sin could be against anyone other than the person against whom it was committed. How could David so arrogantly pray, God, I have sinned against you? When David was guilty of adultery in the least, murder in the worst, and perhaps even sexual violence. How could David pray, God, against you and you only have I sinned? See, David realized something that we fail to understand. Joseph understood something that we neglect to appreciate. There is only such a thing as wrong or sin if there is an absolute right. Adultery and murder are wrong precisely because God has dictated that they are wrong. If there is no God, there is no ultimate truth, an ultimate and unyielding right. Then there can be no wrong. In a purely naturalistic society without law or a lawgiver, then all are... Let me back up. In a purely naturalistic society without a supreme lawgiver then all laws and rules are subjective, personal, or emotional. 
Now, for some of you, we flew right over your head. Okay, you're not. You let me let me let me explain what I mean right here. In the ancient world, where kings were often seen to be divine, in the ancient world, what the king decreed was the law. Do you understand that? So, for instance, in Egypt, the Pharaoh was divine. He was a god. Folks, when you are a god, no one tells you what to do. Do you understand? Nobody gets to tell God what to do. And so when the kings, as they often were in the ancient Near East, in the ancient world, even as they continue to be in a place like North Korea, what is the danger in a place like North Korea? In North Korea, the dictator is viewed as divine. It's a part of their national historic story that, oddly enough, came about in the 20th century. But when the ruler, when the king, when the pharaoh, when whomever it is, is divine, then understand, there is no outside law that can govern what they do. That means that in an an autocracy, especially in a dictatorship or a tyranny, the king can do whatever he wants to do. The reason that David's sin was first and foremost against a holy God was because the only reason that the world would ever perceive of David doing anything wrong is if there was a being greater than David who dictated the law. And so when Nathan the prophet walked in and Nathan the prophet explained to David in a very creative way that he was the man, David didn't have Nathan murdered on the spot David instead bowed under a greater authority had David sinned against Bathsheba absolutely had David sinned against Uriah absolutely had David sinned against the people of Israel absolutely but David's greatest sin was against the one who had written the law David was wrong only because there was a God who had created laws and who loved marriage and protected the weak and the powerless. If there were no God, then David was literally able to do whatever he pleased. Folks, just look at Herod. We'll see this again next week. But Herod divorced his wife and married his sister-in-law. Why? Because he wanted to. He lived as if there was no God. And when Herod was rebuked by John the Baptist, Herod made sure that John got shut up forever. David, however, when confronted with his sin by Nathan the prophet, was broken and acknowledged that he was not God. He was not the ultimate authority. He had sinned against God and now it was to God that he had to turn. Sin is a big deal because sin is a slap in God's face. We have minimized sin. And we've minimized sin because we want to see people come to the Lord. And so we sweet talk them. And we say, well, in the Greek, the word just means missing the mark. And many of you have missed the mark. And we want you to come to Jesus today. And folks, I'm here to tell you that you missed the mark. Yes, by an infinite distance. Folks, understand that you missed the mark because you were unable of hitting the mark all on your own. Because the truth of the matter is left to yourself. You don't like the mark. Do we realize that? If we affirm and believe in original sin, if we believe that our heart is 
filthy and nasty before a holy God, then here's what I've got to acknowledge. That when I draw my bow back to hit the mark, I see God's mark over there and I say, oh, there's God's mark. I'm going to turn this way because Craig's mark is the mark I actually care about. Folks, if we're honest, we have to deal with the reality that we don't generally miss the mark because we've aimed at God's mark and somehow or other we've missed it by a hair's breadth. The truth of our sin is this. God's mark looks like broccoli. And our mark looks like cheesecake and we don't want the broccoli, folks. God's mark looks like a lack of enjoyment or fun or success. And my mark looks like the potential For a life of joy and happiness. God's mark looks looks like holding me back. But my mark looks like striving ahead. So yeah, you've missed the mark. But oh, how far have we missed it? Sin is a big deal. It is cosmic treason. And Jesus looks at his disciples. And he says, beware. Beware. Now, folks, this, this section throws us for a curveball because it deals with something that we as evangelicals don't really deal with very often. See, as evangelicals, we are right in this. We long to see people make a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. We want to see people saved. And so we emphasize personal autonomy. We emphasize personal sin. We emphasize personal salvation and personal relationships. But in so doing, we often neglect to even have conversations about our corporate responsibilities. And yet right here, Jesus has some things to say to us, not just about our own temptation to sin, not just about our own love of sin. Jesus warns us against causing others to sin. And that's where we jump into our text this morning. A warning from Jesus. Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Folks, I don't know how you feel about Jesus' words. I don't know what you think about Jesus, but if you think Jesus is just this cuddly grandpa that's all around, this verse is going to be sort of a slap in the face right here. This one's difficult to reckon with. You can't really dress this one up. This one's pretty straightforward. Jesus says, hang a millstone. Now, do you know what a millstone was, folks? We're not talking about a pebble. Okay? Jesus is basically saying, pour a concrete slab, put it on a chain, put it around their neck, and just drop them off. Where? The ocean. Boom, straight to the bottom. Dead. Not a fun, easy death, an agonizing, drowning death. Jesus says, anyone who causes one of these little ones to sin, it would be better. He says, get it. He says it would be better for them. Oh, Jesus says you would prefer to drown with a millstone around your neck than to face the punishment that would come at the hands of what Jonathan Edwards called an angry God. Over your decisions to lead people away from him. Nobody's amening. That's good. 
Because listen, every one of us are going to walk out of here today with a realization that we deserve a millstone. See, we like to live with this statement. I can't make anyone do anything. As a matter of fact, I generally say that to my own children. You know, I'm so angry. No one can make you angry except you, right? So-and-so made me do it. No, no, they didn't make you hit them. You made that choice. And we love to live by that statement, don't we? Right? They chose their own sin. It's their decision. I didn't do it to them. And yet, God's word causes a little bit more confusion. You see, we live in a world where we like black and white. Now, y'all say we don't, and we don't like black and white to some degree, but as, as politically divided, as sort of divided culturally as we are, we like to lump people into camps. One of the reasons that we as evangelicals don't talk about these corporate responsibilities is because we want everybody to give a clear definition of exactly who they are. Not what they believe so much, but who are you? Where do you identify? And if we begin talking about corporate responsibilities, somebody's going to accuse me of distorting the gospel and and elevating social gospel and becoming a, a social justice warrior or something like that. But the problem is that the Bible seems to talk about both personal and corporate responsibilities. See, there's the difficulty The difficulty is that when we choose to be biblical, we don't fit into nice categories. But that doesn't work well in our world. Nobody wants me to say that I'm biblical. Because when I self-identify as biblical, somebody wants to hammer me into a a sharper corner. Well, you're biblical. Are you pre-trib or post-trib? Well, I'm I'm biblical. You know? Are you KJV or NIV? I, I try to trust the Bible. How do you feel about the gifts of the Holy Spirit? I, 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 I believe what the Bible Are you a Calvinist or an Arminian? I'm a, I believe in the Bible. Aha, I caught you. I'm like, what? Call me in what? Why? Because we need something to be mad about. Here's a thought. How about we get mad about the people in our world who are being trampled upon and who are being drugged away from Jesus by the decisions that some of us in this room have made. When's the last time you look in the mirror and said, Lord God, forgive me because my decisions have led others away from Christ? How might that happen? Jesus offers a warning. First, now here here are the little ones. Here in this immediate context, it seems that Jesus was referring to his 12 disciples who were gathered around him. But y'all, in, in, a further, in, a, in a parallel passage in Matthew 18, 6, Jesus is using a child as an object lesson when he offers this statement. So, we can extrapolate from this a more universal warning toward those who cause sin. The principle is pretty clear. Those who would cause Jesus' people to sin will have to deal with Jesus. Okay? Nobody wants that. And when we talk about sin, we've got to be willing to talk more about just individuality. The Bible speaks into our culture, and the Bible demands that we have a category for sin, even if the prevailing view of our world refuses to acknowledge its existence. And so the Bible speaks into our individual lives and demands that we acknowledge our actions. So the Bible is very clear. I must accept Jesus for my Savior. You can't be saved on my faith and I can't be saved on yours. So there's an individual responsibility. But there's also this corporate responsibility. That I have a responsibility to consider how it is that my actions affect other people. In other words, we need to be careful that we do not lead others astray. Now, the easy things, again, we're good evangelicals, so the easy things is protect your witness. Let me encourage you to protect your witness. Don't mess up your witness, okay? Don't. But usually we stop right there. 
We stop with a conversation about protect your witness. So I'm not going to dig into that because most of you have heard somebody at some point in their life preach to you and urge you to live a life that is, that is godly, live a life that is, that is uh, above board, to make sure that you've protected your character, you've protected your witness, so that when you speak about Jesus, people actually can believe what you're saying. Right? You look like Jesus. But folks, it's got to go further than just protecting my witness. I have to ask questions about how my actions and my decisions in both public and private affect people, maybe even people that I'll never see or people that I might not know. So let's go ahead and jump into the ugly, nastiest one of all. The porn industry is one of the most egregious ways that we can cause others to sin. I want you to listen to this. If you click on porn, you support an industry that is built on sex trafficking and victimization. Exact numbers are hard to produce, but by some estimates, you ready for this? 20% of pornography on the internet involves children. 20% involves a little girl or a little boy that looks like one of ours. It's worse. According to one article, the typical performer is in their late teens or early 20s was likely sexually abused as a child, is probably addicted to drugs, transient and economically desperate. In all likelihood, she first entered the industry while still a child. Her background is fraught with abuse and hardship and is further abused in the process of making pornography. She is subjected to punishment, low pay, terrible health risks. On average, her hellish stint will last all of 18 months after which she is left broke, broken and bereft of her dignity. There are no victimless crimes. And with every click of your mouse, you support an industry that enslaves and victimizes. Of course, it's not the only way that we contribute to sin. It's easy for many of you that don't click on pornography to perhaps believe you'd escape the finger of God's judgment here, but we aren't done. Parents, did you give your kids a smartphone, a tablet, or a computer without safeguards? Do you allow them to take it to their room? The average age for porn exposure is 11 to 13 years old. Look around. 90% of young men under the age of 18 to 60% of young women in that age range have been exposed to porn. Why? How? Folks, it's easy for us to blame the culture, blame the industry, blame the addictive nature of electronic devices. But folks, how many of you are looking in the mirror? How many of you are looking in the mirror? Woe to you who calls any of Jesus' little ones to sin. Woe! Parents, are you causing your kids to sin? Parents, are you causing them to sin by your actions? Are you causing them to sin by your inaction? Parents, do you encourage and allow your children to drink underage? Woe to you, Jesus says. Parents, do you allow and encourage them to be in places where their, 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 their lives might be compromised in the presence of people of the opposite sex? Woe to you. Parents, do you give them lenient, overly lenient curfews and just shut your ears to the reality of what they may be doing? Woe to you. How about this one? Racism continues to be a prevailing sin in our culture. Are you raising your kids to demean people of other races? 
Are you raising them to judge people based on the color of their skin or the side of town on which they were, like, they were raised? Woe to you who would cause one of Jesus' little ones to sin. What about the ways we spend our money or cast our votes? One of the great fears I have for our democracy right now is that we are so easily swayed by our wallets. Do you overlook the sin of politicians because their programs benefit you, regardless of how they may exploit others? Do you exploit the poor? Boss, do you expect your employees to underreport their hours, not report their injuries? Do you allow people to be mistreated in your workplace? Woe to you! Oh, now you've done gone into politics. Now, folks, I can't wait till next Sunday because I'm telling you, I didn't know until recently. It is the most political message I've ever read. How dare we not allow our Christian faith to shape, mold, and change our business practices, our daily lives, our politics? Folks, if you don't carry Jesus with you into the office, into the voting booth, then what in the world are you doing? Teacher, do you allow students to be mistreated in your school without speaking up? Teacher, do you allow other teachers, administrators, systems, or policies to hurt children without speaking up because you're afraid to lose your own position or influence? Beware! Whoever causes one of these little ones to sin, you say, Craig, you've not talked about sin. You're just talking about hurting people. I'm just curious. Do you really believe that? Do we? Do we believe that we in our actions, may not, may not sometimes contribute to the sin of others. Do we? Do we understand? Sin is a really big deal. And I'm just going to be honest with you. The more I concerned myself with my responsibility to not cause my children to sin. Can I control everything they do? No, I won't. Just like I made mistakes, my kids will make mistakes. They will do wrong things. But the more I wrestle with this, the heavier this burden came for me today. Oh, how quick are we to wash our hands? Well, I can't control them. Whoa. To us. Folks, when I consider what it is that is coming into our homes with the devices that we have in our children's possession, and how quick so many are to not think twice about what they give to their children, what they allow them to have, and never even ask questions. Whoa! Do you have any idea what you're doing? Do you know what they're doing? And have you taken your responsibility seriously? Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. Folks, I want you to know. I want you to know that the way that you choose to parent can, can cause your children to sin. Live with that. Well, I just want, I don't want to be that parent. You better decide to be that parent. We got to move on. Y'all, 
Beware of your actions. And it's not just about your children. Again, are you an employer? Do you have employee policies that make it so difficult for your people that they are regularly tempted to lie because of the way that you put your thumb down on them? We changed our employee policies here years ago. We took away sick days. Okay? Because we didn't have a whole lot of days off anyway. And we just said, you know what? We're not going to have sick days. We're just going to have days. And we took the total number of sick days plus vacation days and we combined them together and we said, this is what it's going to be. Why? Because I didn't want anybody to be tempted to sin. Right? So, well, I was kind of sick, so I stayed home. Well, I, I coughed two times, so I called that a sick day and I was able to take my wife to lunch. No, we, 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 we just, why would we do that? It's kind of like teachers or professors that send home, uh, take home exams and then say these are not open books. Why would you do that? Why? Okay, beware. All right, second, not only do we need to beware of causing others to sin, some of you are ready for us to move on from that, beware of the temptation to sin in your own life. See, here we move into the areas where we're more comfortable talking. Beware of the temptation. Now, folks, even as, as I urge you to beware, I want you to be reminded in God's Word, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Jesus warns us that when temptation comes, we should pursue whatever means necessary to get away from it. What's he say? He says, cut off your hand, cut off your foot, gouge out your eye. Whatever it takes, get out. Now, if we return to Joseph's story in Potiphar's house, when Potiphar's wife finally came to him in her last moments of desperation and she grabbed him and she said, you come to bed with me. The Bible tells us that Joseph left his clothes and ran naked. N-E-K-K-I-D. He's gone. They go, what is this naked guy doing running through here? Listen, guess what Joseph didn't do was protect his character in that moment. Now, I'm not trying to be funny, but everybody's going, well, protect your witness. If Joseph wanted to protect his witness, he wouldn't have run out of that house naked. Do you understand that to protect his witness, Joseph would have had to have compromised his morals? Joseph decided that purity was better than reputation. He got gone. Quick! Folks, when we are faced with temptation, the Bible tells us that there's always a way out. Now listen, I'm talking about temptation. When we talk about those who might cause others to sin, we might be talking about abuse, and that's not what I'm talking about right here. I want to make sure I'm very clear. But when you are tempted to sin, there's a way out. you got to find it. You might have to jump hedge and dig under a bush, but you got to, it's, it's there somewhere. You're beating on doors and kicking on walls and saying there's got to be a way out. Folks, Jesus warns us to do whatever it takes. Freedom from sin requires radical work on our part. Radical work. I recently read a book called Digital Minimalism. I'd encourage you to read it by a guy named Cal Newport. He's not a believer, but he talks about the importance of us separating ourselves from our, our devices. He talks about the, 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 the addictive nature of social media and of electronics. He looks at, at what some others are beginning to show, that those things are interrelated and correlated with depression, with suicide rates that are exploding among our teenagers and young adults that coincide with the invention of the iPhone and the rise of social media that became a, 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 a mobile platform. 
And he warns us about all those things. But he, he says, I encounter lots of people that want to be set free. He said, the problem is these things are so addictive that everybody thinks they can just do a little bit of this or a little bit of that. And he said, they always fail. Why do they always fail? He said, because they need a nuclear approach. they got to get more drastic. If you want to be set free from it, he said, then cut it off. Cancel it. And if that's not enough, he said, get rid of your smartphone and get a flip phone. And then tell me how addicted you are to your phone at that point. Now, folks, if something like a smartphone addiction requires such drastic engagement, how much more sin? Folks, we can't toy with this stuff. We can't toy. We don't take a drug addict and continue to put them in houses where they're going to be exposed to that stuff and say, now, don't do that. Don't do that. It'll be all right. No. When people are ready to overcome those addictions, we get them out of town. We find a place where they can go and, and they'll, be, they'll be set free from the temptation around them and they can find the help that they need. Folks, we've got to flee from temptation. Beware of it. But be ready to run from it, folks. Listen, our, when we are tempted to sin, the best thing we can do is to admit that we are weak and soft, to, to, that we are losers, you will often lose a battle with temptation. But folks, you can't lose a battle if you're not there to fight it. Wave the white flag and get out of Dodge. Go. Run. And if you've got to leave your clothes behind, leave them. But for goodness sakes, get gone. Well, what are people going to say about me? Does it matter? What did they say about Joseph? He said a whole lot of things. As a matter of fact, Potiphar's wife was even able to say, look what he tried to do to me. But Joseph's remained true to the Lord his God. Flee from sin. But folks, Jesus doesn't just tell us that we need to beware of causing others to sin or that we must flee from sin. Jesus also warns us of loving our sin. Jesus warns his disciples, he says, hey, you're going to be salt of the earth. This is the Craig translation. He says, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how, what good is it to anybody? Jesus uses this salt analogy several times throughout the Gospels. And the idea right here, as you've probably heard before, is that in the ancient world, salt was easily adulterated. You know, it's, it's not the kind of salt that we have today where you dig it out of a salt mine. It, it, it was usually brought out of, out of uh, one of the, the seas, and, and the salt was not pure to the degree that ours is, and it could just become uh, adulterated to such a point that it was no longer purposeful, it was no longer useful, okay? And, and, and when that happened, it was, it was good for nothing except just to be thrown out. That's all you could do with it, just get rid of it. Jesus says to his disciples, you are the salt of the world. You have a responsibility to change the world. Just as salt is a preservative for food in the ancient world, so too were the disciples to preserve and change the world through their influence. But he warns them that if they become adulterated, they may lose their influence and impact. But how would this happen? Would they sin so far that Jesus would be unwilling to forgive them? No. Folks, let me say to you, I want you to hear me today. There is no unpardonable sin except to die without Jesus. You hear me? If you will call upon the name of the Lord, you can be saved. 1 John 1, 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from a little bit of unrighteousness. No, all unrighteousness. 
You will never sin so far that you have outrun the ability of God to forgive you through the powerful, saving blood of Jesus. However, it is possible that you would fall so in love with your sin, that you would grow so fond of your sin, that you may cease to hear God's offer of forgiveness. Just as we warn of the temptation to sin, we need to warn about loving our sin. Do you love your sin? See, there's a difference between wrestling with temptation and falling to temptation and cuddling up with our sin and allowing it to take up residence within us. I want you to imagine a scenario where a man would cheat on his wife. Let's imagine that, you know, they were having trouble. He was out of town one day. He ran into some woman, and lo and behold, something happened. It would just be terribly sinful. I want to say that. Wrong. He fell prey to temptation. Folks, do you understand that that would be very different, different than a man who made an appointment to visit with a woman out of town and regularly went to spend time with her? Over and over and over again. See, there's a difference between the alcoholic who runs into some guy on the street or some guy shows up at his house and offers him a drink in a bad moment and the guy falls off the wagon right then and the guy who regularly continues to purchase alcohol and bring it into his home and then somehow believes that he's going to be okay. Folks, some of you have been lying to yourself for far too long. Some of you are getting drunk every Friday night and looking in the mirror and going, I messed up again. When the truth of the matter is you didn't mess up, you did exactly what you planned to do. You made the plan, you made the preparation, you loved your sin, you brought it in and you squeezed it tight. Some of you are falling prey to pornography. Folks, you didn't fall prey when you made sure you stayed up later than everybody else and had access to the internet long enough for everybody else and then you, you viewed that. You didn't, you didn't fail. You didn't fall. You made a plan. You loved it. You don't like that you love it, perhaps. You don't want to communicate that you love it because it is gross and nasty, but you still like that sin. And Jesus says, beware. Because the love of our sin will separate us from the love of our God. And folks, you may at some point fall so in love with your sin that you can no longer believe that God's love is enough. That Jesus is the answer. There's a difference between wrestling with temptation and falling to temptation and cuddling up with our sin and allowing it to take up residence within us. Folks, these are hard sermons and they are not popular, but it is God's word and it is important. Sin is no toy to be played with. Sin is a fiery serpent who desires to drag you into hell. 
Beware. Beware because those who indulge in sin and refuse to accept Christ inherit the eternal flames of hellfire. Beware. Beware. We don't enjoy these sermons because they're hard, but folks, you need to hear me. Hell is a real place. And the fury of God is stored up for those who refuse His offers of forgiveness. Beware. Because when you refuse to flee temptation this time, it becomes easier to enjoy sin the next time. Beware. Beware because many of you have avoided your own temptation, but you've not rescued others from temptation. Be careful. Do you present yourself as clean to the world around you, but ensnare others in sin by your actions or inactions? This should terrify you. Listen to me. Jesus says, It would be better if a millstone were hung around your neck. Do you live a squeaky clean life, but through your actions you allow and encourage others to pursue their sin? Beware. You are your brother's keeper. Beware. But I don't want you to leave here broken without hope. I want you to beware, but I want you to do more. I want you to repent today. I want you to know that no matter what the sin is that you've cuddled up with, Jesus died to set you free. I want you to know that. I want you to know that no matter how many people you've pointed down the wide path, Jesus will forgive you so that you may carry others along the narrow path that leads to eternal life. You say, Pastor, I've been talking to people about this for years, and I'm wondering if maybe today you're finally ready to say, I don't need to feel better about myself. I need God to reach inside me and rip out my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. Save me, change me, and make me new. Would you allow Him to change everything about you? Would you find hope and a future in Christ? Would you flee temptation? And folks, I don't just want you to run. See, here's the good news. Joseph ran out naked and was found by all of those workers and accused. Folks, when you run from temptation, you don't run out into the openness naked. You run into the arms of Jesus who stands ready to redeem you and to forgive you and to make you whole. Beware of your sin. But be aware of your Savior. Jesus is enough. So here's the invitation today. Would you come? Would you come? Would you come today and be saved? Perhaps today is the day that you finally stop your running from the Lord and you run to Him. Perhaps today is the day. Perhaps today is the day that you, believer, need to come and bow at this altar and pray, Lord God, I'm in danger of that millstone dragging me down because, Lord, I've not cared for my brother. I've not cared for my sister. Parents, have you cared for your children? It's time for all the excuses to go away. It's time for us to decide 
that come hell or high water, I will fight not with them, I will fight for them, and I will fight with all that I have. Because eternity hangs in the balance. Would you stop playing with sin today and come to Jesus? He's enough. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I pray that today, Lord God, you would draw us away from ourselves and our sin. Draw us into the arms of our Savior. God, may we see sin for the vile evil that it is. May we see the cross for the saving hope that only you can give. May we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and be saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?